a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Welcome, one and all, to episode 112 of the Howie Games Part A. I hope you are all having the world's best day. Before we get stuck into it, a bit of a diversion. Congratulations to Lewis Hamilton for claiming his seventh. Formula One world title equaling Michael Schumacher's record. Incredible performance. Now, I mention that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because in an indirect way, Lewis was the reason why I started the podcast in the first place. That's probably a story for another day. Lewis features on the show in an abbreviated chat in episode 48. I reckon we need to get him on for a full episode now, so I'll work on that over the summer. That'd be super cool. The second reason I wanted to mention Lewis was his post-race interview, which was done by Martin Brundle, who coincidentally features on episode 93 of the show. Martin, check that episode out. Anyway, Lewis's answers in the interview with Martin really struck a chord with me, and I wanted you to all hear them. Lewis... The mark of, of a truly great sporting champion is to win on the days when maybe you're not the fastest or the strongest or don't have the best equipment. You've come through the pack today to become a seven times world champion with a true champion's drive. Thank you. Uh, I uh, definitely a, a bit lost for words. Um, <clears throat> I think... Uh, Naturally, I have to always start with saying such a huge thank you to uh, Team LH for sticking with me all these years and then to my family, you know. Uh, we dreamed of this as, as, as you know, when we were young and when I was young, when we were watching the Grand Prix and this is way, way beyond our dreams and I think it's so important for kids out there to hopefully see this and know that no one to tell, uh, don't listen to anybody that tells you you can't achieve something extremely impossible and speak it into existence and you've got to work for it you've got to chase it and you've got to never give up and never doubt yourself so you search and try to find but you don't know where to go so many thoughts flood through your mind you're confused and want to know mystery what is to be so much more than meets the eye listen to me time is your key you will find out by and by Alrighty, now to this week's episode featuring UFC champion Robert Whittaker. For Whittaker, you gotta watch out for that slick left hook. He throws it for Mario. There it is! Man! Oh! Two early knockdowns for Whittaker! Oh, Tomorrow is it Robert Whittaker! Whittaker with the biggest win of his career tonight in the Komei! That was unbelievable! Robert Whittaker is one of the more impressive athletes I've ever had the pleasure of chatting to. As I explained to Rob in the episode, I do not know a great deal about UFC. I did a lot of reading and watching of YouTube before we sat down. I really found myself fascinated in what's involved in his sport, the training, the preparation, the discipline, the sheer brutality of it all, and probably the fact that the making or breaking of dreams just happens in the blink of an eye. Talking to Robert really reinforced to me why I love doing this podcast. For everything that goes on behind the scenes of the show and the time and effort required to get it up and running each week, when you get a chance to talk with someone you know very little about, then find yourself totally engaged and fascinated by what they are saying, that's the fun part. That is the greatest part of doing this show, and it sounds a little bit funny, but I was buzzing 
for a couple of days after talking with Rob. He is one seriously impressive man who puts himself through all manner of suffering to be the best he can be. Enjoy the story of the man known as the Reaper, Robert Whittaker. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, the first man from this part of the world to hold a UFC title. Robert Whittaker joins us on the show. I'm fascinated about what he does for a living. Rob, great to see you. How are you? Very good, mate. Very good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, I'm going to say right off the top, I've covered a lot of sports and done a lot of episodes on this show. I don't know a great deal about UFC, so I'm fascinated about it. In fact, a lot of it comes from a show I've been watching called Kingdom. I don't know if you've seen it, <laughs> but that's where my research is. Have you seen it? I, I think, uh, is, that the, is that the one with the Aquaman guy in it? Uh, or is that the or is that the Viking sort of? Yeah, it's it's um they're, they're like it's Alvy Nate um and a couple other blokes. It's based in California. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw the first couple of episodes. I, I'm 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 gonna burst your bubble. I think the acting is just <laughs> piss poor in that in that episode in that show. So. <laughs> Well, you can explain to me what really happened in a minute, but mate, you've come back from Fight Island. Congratulations on your most recent win against Cannoneer, but you're in quarantine. Mm. So explain to me the situation. How long you been there? How long you got to go? And it's mega strict here. You haven't seen anyone. Yeah. So um, I, I'm, in, I'm in the last leg of, of my stint. It's two weeks you've got to be in here. Not allowed to leave the room at all. Uh, and I've got about four days left. Okay. Mm. What, what's been the most challenging part of it? Honestly, like it wasn't so bad because I'm a bit of an indoor cat anyway. So I've got my video games, got the guitar to play, got books to read, I've got heaps to do. But I've done this, this is the second time I've done it in about three months, which in total, like including my trip away from Abu Dhabi, like going there to climatize and fighting and then coming back, quarantine, I've spent two months away from my kids and family in the last five months. And that is... Has to be much for me. Has to be much for me. How old are your kids? Uh, five, four, and three. How does it go when you have to walk out the door, mate, when and say goodbye to them? I don't. I don't think they truly get it like yet. Yeah. Like you know, as they get older, I'm sure they'll they'll start to really tear me up. But it, it eats at me. Like uh, generally on the flight, on the flight away, it all hits me that I'm not going to see them for a bit, and um, yeah, it really starts to. To, to crush me. And on the way back from Abu Dhabi, I was, um, same thing happened. Like, I just sat there thinking, like, oh, I've got two weeks now. I'm so close to my kids and stuff. And, and yeah, I'm not going to be able to see them. For those that listen to the player profile, well, they'll already understand that food is pretty important in your life. Um, and when you're training, you got to eat the right stuff. And when you don't, you have your cheese crust pizzas, pizzas that you were telling us about. What's the deal with food? Can you get food that you're after or you have to get what you're given in there? It depends on uh, what hotel you're at. Right. So certain t- hotels have have access to um, to to Uber Eats and things. Like the, the hotel will have in, in hotel staff that stay in here and just move food around. So, um so yes. So have you got have you got that at the moment? Yeah, I have access, I have access to Uber Eats, which is probably half the reason why I'm so fat right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 fun for like the last, the first four days, and then you just start feeling gross and yeah. 
And what about the training aspect for a, for a really fit man that uh, gets a living out of looking after himself? Have you been training, and what can you do inside a inside a hotel room like that? I have not been training at all. So have I, you? No, nah, not at all. I, I just, I just, I just got I came back from a fight. So the first week I was dead sore. Yep. And the second week, I don't know, I'm a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't done a thing. I actually, yesterday was the first time I did anything, and I just. I don't even know what I did. I was just fart assing around. I did one push up here, one sit up there, bit of bit of star jumps on just to get the blood moving. But yeah, not much at all. It's funny you're talking about push ups. Those that frequently listen to this show, Rob, um, know that I've got two kids, and their questions normally come at the end. They get to ask a question of each guest. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the question. Uh, right off the top from what you've just said about exercise from my daughter whose name is Sky. She's 10, but her nickname is The Pickle. Are you ready, Rob? Yeah, I'm ready. Hi, Robert. Pickle here. I'm really interested in your training. The most push-ups I can ever do is 25. How many can you do in one go? And what's the hardest thing you do in training? There you go. I guess, so, do you want me me to... Give an honest answer or, or you know, yeah. a little bit of a... Yeah, an honest little, answer. A little bit of how you go on answer. Well, she said 25 and I don't know how honest that was because I've never seen her do 25. <laughs> so you can add a bit of GST if you no, want, honestly, Rob. I can do about 10 proper form good ones right? Like, yep. on a good day. <laughs> 10, okay, 10 so you, really good ones. Um, and the hardest thing in training would have to be like we do these shark tank wrestling pad work resistance drills like it is yeah terrible it, it it takes you to a point where you hate everything where you think you're just not cut out for it it is uh it's one of the hardest things i've ever done it's 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 a really hard session i really want to talk to you about your training as i said i'm mm-hmm. fascinated by about it but before we get into your story you mentioned that you saw after the fight versus Cannoneer. Congratulations on yet another win, mate. You're absolutely flying. Once again, that Whitaker jab. Oh! Oh! Cannoneer in a world of trouble here. Treats. The, the morning after a fight, physically run me through. You wake up in the morning. How are you? All three judges scored this contest. 29-28 for the winner by unanimous decision, the Reaper what is it like when you've been attacked by someone for that period of time? Generally, um, so generally waking up the day after a fight is just a blistering headache, dryness of the mouth, and feeling nauseous all day. Huh. And, and, and just, just a deep regret for drinking that much. Right, right. So that's not from the fight. That's from having a couple of a couple of frothies, it's, right? It, it's a terrible there. hangover. Like, right. So I don't I don't even feel my body that day. That day I'm just a mess anyway. So it right. Doesn't matter, but so when does the body kick in? I'm sore. I'm sore like the night of, the morning of. Like it's, it depends what what sort of injuries you sustain, and 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 what happens. Like my body was physically sore. I had some niggly injuries, so sore wrists, sore hands, and and a sore foot and things like that. But. Generally, overall, I was I pulled up all right from 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 that fight. How do you deal with pain when you're in pain, whether it's in training, whether it's post fight or during a fight? What have you learned over the years, Rob? Uh, I generally win cheaps, 
So that, <laughs> mate, that, I was hoping for some big motivational answer about <laughs> you tell me you're a whinger. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, a big, I'm a big whinger. You can ask my wife. Like, that, to make me feel better, if I'm in pain or sore or anything, I'll just whinge about it to uh, like myself. Generally, I'll, I'll plod. I'll keep plodding along. I'll, I'll keep going, but I just whinge. Yeah. And in the middle of a fight. I don't feel anything in the, in the middle of a fight. Like, with the adrenaline course, and I'm in battle mode, so, the, you know, the warrior comes out and nothing phases me in there. It's do or die. So let's go back to where this journey started, mate. Firstly, tell me a little bit about your family and how you... You were born in New Zealand, yeah, but ended up in Australia as a young Yeah, family. I was born in New Zealand, but literally it was kind of like an accidental birth in, in New Zealand. So, like, my mum my mom was living here in Australia with my dad and she flew over to see her mum quickly and then yeah, I was born. Just come, okay. come a bit early. I was born, and um, and then my dad came over, picked us up, and then come back. Like within all within the first same same months. So I've spent my entire life in Australia. Tell me about your upbringing. You mentioned in the player profile that you know you, you couldn't just go and have an instrument, and you were reasonably poor. It was yep. your turn, mate? Tell me about being a young bloke and what the setup was and where you were living. Yeah, so I grew up in housing commission in Sydney. Uh, I've always been in housing commission when I was, when I was a young fella. Um, money wasn't plentiful, <laughs> but but I had great parents. They they made sure I was I was covered um, for everything that I needed. But I was I was one of the kids, and a lot of other housing commission kids know it's like to to not never go on excursions, things like that. Never have the best stuff, never have new stuff. But it was fine. It was fine though. I, I think I was still very fortunate. I got through everything rel- relatively easily. Um, I had everything I needed. My dad's always forked out and always sacrificed to make sure he could he could afford the fees for me training, me 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 uh, martial arts and got me footy. So yeah, I was I was I was a lucky kid. I had great great parents. So tell me, how do you get into the martial art field? What age are you, and what leads you to it? Yeah, when I was seven, I jumped into. My parents got me into karate. So yep. um. Just for a self-defense, my dad, my dad was in the army and, and he did taekwondo, so he knew the value of. And on my mother's side, like they have uh, boxes and, and whatnot, so they both knew the the value of martial arts and self-defense. So I jumped into into karate and I just continued it through until like, my parents split up and then I moved moved in and lived with my dad, and we changed area, we moved area, moved location, so I couldn't keep going to that gym. I changed to another traditional martial arts, uh, which is hapkido and jujitsu. And then that school ended up changing into a mixed martial arts school. And that was my entry into mixed martial arts and and all that. So what was it about the sport, those disciplines as a young fella that grabbed a seven or eight or nine year old Robert Whittaker? Martial arts and combat, I don't know. I've always been drawn to it. I've always been drawn. I think a lot of kids, a lot of boys in particular are, but for me, it just resonated with me. It resonated with me. I mentioned in the player profile earlier that um, I... I've never been afraid to fight. I've never been afraid of fighting. I've never looked at an opponent and thought that I cannot beat him, ever. And that's just, I guess that's just how I'm wired. Like, that's why I do what I do and to, to such success, I guess. It's just because I feel, honestly, that I was born to fight. And, um, you know, like back in the day, I, I would have been one of those dudes, those dudes in the, in the gladiatorial arenas or yep. or probably on the front line of some battlefield because I was a poor fella. <laughs> I'm a poor guy and I've been just put into the front. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good place to be. No. But, um, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just like the guy I would have been. I'm, I'm that sort of, sort of character. So 
were you a at that early stage is it more about discipline or more about physical success as you as you're learning to become a martial artist as a youngster you just gotta you have to enjoy it you have to enjoy it that's the main thing you have to enjoy it if you're not particularly like if you do karate and you're not enjoying karate try something else Okay, try Taekwondo, try Hapkido. You got. You have to enjoy it. I think with all kids in all sports, they have to enjoy it. If they don't enjoy it and they're getting forced into it, they're just going to turn away from it and never want to do it again. You have to enjoy it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. And, um, you know, I think, I think everything else after the fact is just, like, organic. So, so getting the discipline to stick with it is organic in doing what, like martial arts in understanding mm. because obviously the forms, the stances, the the structure, the lines, all of that is slowly, subtly just developing discipline in your head. It's structuring things. It's organizing things. And, um, you know, I think that's all just a result of being in it, just wanting to do it because you enjoy it. So were you a standout as a kid? No, I was not. I was not. I had talent, but I was just, I don't know, I just... I was never the top guy. Mm. So before we get into the reality TV show and how you got into it, to be a successful MMA athlete, what? give me some of the keys of what you need to be able to go in there and do what you do. Um, discipline and hard work. That's it. Discipline and hard work. How technical is it? Because when, when you see the wrestling and the grappling, it looks like a really technical sport mm. the honestly that it is so technical it is crazy i people don't understand and maybe some do but it's it's there are so many arts you have to learn like you have to learn jujitsu wrestling striking boxing kickboxing you have to learn so much and you have to be technically proficient with everything and then you have to mix it all together and then you have to apply it in the fight itself and you have to be able to adapt and adjust to what your opponent is bringing as well. And um, it is just, it is, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's, it's like trying to learn f- five or six different sports at once. It's, um, yeah, it is quite technical. It's annoying in that sense. <laughs> Can you delve deep into the training with me? Because I, I've, I'm lucky enough in my job, mate, to speak to so many different athletes from so many different – I've never seen any – the hardest trainer I've ever seen was a boxing camp with Costa Zoo, and I watched him and I thought, this bloke is unbelievable. So the, the, the combat sports, the training is so intense. Leading up to a fight, when you're in full work mode, what are you doing? Yeah, honestly, I'm just hitting, I'm hitting two sessions a day minimum, um, and, and my training is structured. I have a great team at Gracie uh, Jiu-Jitsu Smeaton Grange. I have a great team there, a great set of guys, great set of coaches. And we structure the training out so that I'm hitting the equal amount of like striking sessions, wrestling sessions, grappling sessions. Because the sport is – the nature of the sport is that as soon as you start to neglect one of those sides, mm. you get exposed. You know, you stop wrestling, the guy, the next fight, someone's going to take you down and he's just going to hold you down and you're going to be powerless to stop it. And um, so it, to, to counter that, we have to, we have to hit every, bo- uh, every box. We have to hit tick every box. We have to hit every target. And, uh, mate, it's just, it's just hustling. It's just hustling. You're always having to work, you're always going to have to grind. With the camp, every, the camp just gets harder and harder and harder to bring you to that peak 
um, of, of fight week, of fight performance. It's, um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't see that. How many hours uh, are you doing in, in the midst of really grinding the mud? Oh, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's hard to say because sessions go longer, sessions go under. It's, I'm doing two, two to three sessions a day, though, every day except Sunday. And break down the training for me a little bit. Cardio, what type of cardio is required for your sport? Like, do you go running? Are you on a treadmill or is it the, the cardio you get from boxing? No, we have a we. So it's all of the above. It's all of the above. And that's why it's so hard because um, you can you can go running, which we do. We have, a, we have a solid base of running. We run so many times a week. And then we box so many times a week and we get our cardio through boxing and sparring and then you try to apply that to grappling and it's completely different the cardio systems for every different angle of the of the sport is different so a boxer's cardio he may be able to box 12 rounds and, and be and still feel good at the end of it yeah but he probably can't grapple for one round you know and that 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 transfer is crazy because we have to hit it all we have to be able to, to grapple for five rounds but also be able to punch and box at the same time. And you're using so many different energy systems and, and muscle groups that it's, it's so much work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking myself out of the sport as, no, I, as I'm explaining no, it. No, but it, 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 it must be. So, so what about the um, – do you lift weights? Is there a weight lifting component in there? I, I, have a, um, I have a sports – Strength and conditioning coach Justin Lang over at Cronulla, who um, I work with a lot. He uh, we we do a lot of things like that. We do weights and core struck uh, core systems, strengthening exercises. We do a lot of exercises that strengthen the the ligaments and joints of my body. Nice. But um, I'm not I'm not out there trying to be a power lifter though. But I do need my body to be strong enough to withstand putting it up against another human being. And the diet component of it, what we had a laugh in the player mm. profile that you like to eat everything and anything, yeah. but when you are in full training mode and you're, you're having to eat well, what is it all bloody protein <laughs> shakes and boiled well, chicken or not? Well, yeah, it's not quite that bad, but it's very close because um, – so I fight at 84 kilos. That's my weight division, 84 yep. kilos, but I walk around at 96 Okay. So I train at 96 in season. That's what I'm training at at 96. So obviously to get my weight down to that point, to get it down to a, a level where I can I can just shed the last few kilos off in the sauna, is it just a lot of dieting, rigorous dieting and hard training and a lot of salmon and rice and vegetables and salads. Like man, I hate salmon and rice. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I tell you right now, now that I've had my second fight for the year and I've, I've hung, up, hung up the boots for a little bit, yep. until the next year, like I'm on the shelf until the next year, I'm not seeing salmon until then. No <laughs> salmon for the rest of this year, trust me. We'll talk about stripping weight in a moment. Let, let's get to your fighting for a little while and your competitive record. So a reality television show, The Ultimate Fighter, and, and it, it sounds bizarre, but it's a lot of people get into the sport that way. Tell, tell me about how you came to that and how it was for you and what opportunities it gave you, Rob, because it's a, it's, in a way it's, it's almost fairy tale that you go on a reality TV show and it opens a pathway to a, yeah. to a career. So I, I never really had any faith that I would get into the UFC. It was something I, – I, I thought I was a good fighter, mm. but I, I, didn't, I never got, put my hopes into becoming a UFC. I don't know. That's just the sort of – kid I was, guy I am, is that I, I, I don't like getting my hopes up. So I don't think about best case scenarios. Um, 
So I was fighting at the time already in, in local promotion, CFC and things like that. Jet, question on that, question on mm, that. Um, mm, mm. Answer it or don't answer it or tell me to get stuffed. So fighting in a local promotion in Sydney, you win a fight, how much do you get paid? Mm. So my first fight, yep. I had to pay for my own flight over there oh. and I think I fought for 200 bucks. Right. Okay. And it was in Perth, so it was like a six hundred flight, six hundred dollar flight over or something. <laughs> so, what are you doing to uh, provide financially for this lifestyle at that stage? Yeah, like you're working. Yeah, not yeah. You're working at the same time. Okay, so yeah, what were you working. doing? I was um, oh, I was an apprentice electrician. Oh, okay. Yeah, we we yeah. spoke about that earlier on. Yeah. So, okay, there's there's a, a very small amount of money at this early stage. So then the opportunity comes up to go on the reality even, TV even, show. Let me let me touch on that further. Even when please do. Even when you make it into the UFC, the biggest promotion in the world, the money's not great. Is it not? It's very no. Nah, it's very hard to um to to live off what you're earning. If you if you enter if you enter the UFC at like a base level contract, it's yep. it's like if you have a family and kids, you still need to work in a gym or. So can you give me an no idea of what a, what a base level contract is at the UFC? Maybe 15 grand, maybe less, 10 grand, 10, 12 grand to fight. Okay. And when you become a, a world champion, it's – oh, I just ask you, is it like 100 grand or a million bucks and, or 10 million bucks? And that's the, that's the thing. Every contract is different. There's no standard of pay. So so guys that have had no success in, in the octagon but have a million followers – Yep. And, and have like big draw or live in like big countries will make significantly more than someone who uh, doesn't. And that's whether you're the champ or you're not. The, your, your pay is decided on how much money you can earn the company. So when you go to somewhere like Marvel Stadium and you fight Adesanya, which we'll get to, and there's 57,000 people there, mm-hmm. do you get a... You must get a decent whack there. Like, do you get a, a clip of like that was an enormous, an enormous event, Robert? Yeah, like yeah, no, no, no. I put it this way: I couldn't stop fighting. Okay. Yeah, so to. it's not. It doesn't level with being a world champion boxer. You, you're going to make no. It's, it is. Okay. It is night and day the difference. Like night and day, heaven and heaven and earth. Like it is. Completely different. So where's all the money going? Because it's a massively income-generating mm. sport. The the company, right? Okay. I, I think you can look at the you can look it up the revenue, how much the UFC puts back into its fighters, and it's it's it's, it's the lowest paying sport. Huh. Is there a like is there a fighters union? I, I don't want to get too there political and tell there, me that there isn't, and there's been a lot of debate on that. There isn't, and that's the problem. The problem, like, and that's because like everyone has to fight each other. Everyone wants to bash each other. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't have. No. And, the, and the company knows that, so they pitches pitches us against each other. It's it's like that. It's, like, we could talk about this. Like this is a super rabbit hole sort of debate. And yeah, and I just honestly, I'm just, I just keep my head out of it. It's one of okay. those things because I'm blessed enough. I'm blessed in a sense that I can earn enough yep. to make a decent living and to, to provide for my family so they have no wants. And I'm doing reasonably well in it. So I'm just, I'm just a good company man. I just go to work, I do my job and go home. More of Rob in a moment. Next up on the show, NRL Games record holder and absolute superstar of the caper, the man himself, Cameron Smith. We haven't actually done the interview with Cam at the moment, so I can't play your grab, but we are doing it in the next couple of days. All will be sweet and it will be coming up next. In the meantime, get a hold of Cam's new book, The Storm Within. It is a fantastic, fantastic read. It's called The Storm Within. 
Alrighty, let's get back to Robert. So we go back. You said you didn't ever think you would get to the UFC, but then you get an opportunity on a bloody reality TV show. Mm. It's like as slogan says, it's as real as it gets. Being locked in the house with 15 other guys is, is going to be a challenge. I think I can get into people's heads quite easily. I'm quite looking forward to being locked in the house with 15 stressed out humans. Everyone involved in the sport here has to be a different breed than a human being. you just got to love it to be in it. If you don't love the sport, don't be in it. So my, my father was keeping tabs on that because we watched the show together a couple of times. And he Great was show. Always- Cracking show. No, I, I, yeah, if you say so. Oh, I like it. I like <laughs> it. Because I, I went back and looked at some episodes the other day. I, um, yeah, my dad kept tabs on it. And then when it came out, he filled in the form for me, sent it off. I went to the auditions and I was fortunate enough to get in there. And let me tell you, before you ask, mm. the show was the single worst experience of my life. How come? I hated it. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I had no comforts from home because you know they take books or computers or games or anything like that in there so all those are my my comforts my escapes my my coping mechanisms if you would and i had none of that and like i wasn't able to see my wife which is another big escape coping mechanism like i said told you everything is easier when i win to her so um <laughs> I, I didn't have her and and I, honestly i almost i almost quit the just before going in there, I almost said no because I was just I was so anxious to go in there. I didn't want to do it. Then when I got in there, it was terrible, very very terrible. As you can imagine, like living in a house with every dude wants to bash you, like it's a shit environment. <laughs> and then <laughs> on top of that, I'm dieting 24/7 because you have to cut weight so soon and in rapid succession. Yep. So and then you have to fight. Like it's it, it was it was terrible. If I went back in time and had to do it again, I'd Go back to school or something. But you won. You won your weight division. I did. Winner, 19 seconds in the first round by KO from Australia, Robert Whittaker. Good job, mate. Good work, gentlemen. So then what happens? Do you get a, a phone call from the UFC? Does Dana no. White get on the phone himself? Like, what, what happens? No, so you, you get granted a contract for the UFC. So that's your ticket okay. in. And it starts at a slightly higher rate than those who have to enter through the basic contract means. And uh, so once I made it into the UFC, I was able to put aside my day job and just focus full-time on on, on fighting. So your first official fight in the UFC, uh, Colton Smith. Mm. You took care of Colton? Yeah, it was all right. Again, the Whitaker makes the use Look, of the first big shot so here. Well. And it is all over. It's it. Robert Whitaker finishes Colton Smith. Beautiful job by Whitaker, and what a showcase for him, and what a, an awesome entrance into the UFC for Robert Whitaker. Yes. What is that moment like when they raise your arm? and you've won a fight one-on-one against another human being. Ladies and gentlemen, referee Chris Tyone has called a stop to this contest at 41 seconds of the third round. Declaring the winner by TKO, Robert Whitaker. It's unreal because uh, it's, it's relief. Relief is the biggest thing. It's the, all the months and weeks and weight on your shoulders it just goes away like it's 
It's, I don't know, like, what's a way I can explain it? Like, let's say you have a, a meeting. You have a very important meeting where you have to, you have to deliver. So you're, let's say you have a product and you have to deliver. You have to go to this meeting. You have to propose it to these guys and they have to buy it. They have to buy it. But it's in 12 weeks. So you've got 12 weeks to prepare for it. So think about how you're thinking about that meeting for the entire 12 weeks. You're rehearsing it. You're looking in the mirror. You're talking about it. You're, you're going to your friends. You're comparing it and you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. And as it gets closer and closer and closer, you're thinking about it more and more and more and more. And then one week out, they start. you start getting interviews. People are taking photos of you, asking you, are you ready? Like, huh. what are you going to do? How are you going to deliver it? What's your approach? And uh, where are you going to go after it? And this whole time, you're still thinking about that meeting like that you have to deliver on because nobody cares about if you, if, if you don't deliver it, you're done. It's over. You, it's, you're done. So you have to deliver it. Losing is not an option. right? And then you go to the meeting and then you deliver it and they buy it. You can only imagine the amount of relief that is just there. Like you did it. You did it, you know what I mean? And I guess that's the best analogy I've ever put together for this, but uh, yeah, I guess that that's kind of how it is. I was really looking forward to chatting with you, Rob, when you don't know people, you don't know how it will go. Um, mm. I'm gonna pump up your tires here for a moment. I'm fascinated by this discussion. <laughs> and you just, no mate, you describe it so well and I got so many more questions for you and I know you're gonna have answers for them, which I'm absolutely pumped about. So you win that first fight. Overall, you're 27, 22 wins, five losses, but that was May 2013. Then August 2013, you lose to some dude called Court McGee. Mm-hmm. At 29-28, for the winner by split decision, Court the Crusher February 2014, you lose to Stephen Thompson. So you're a young bloke. You're trying to make your way. You had that first win. Then you have two losses in what is a brutal sport. You lose to Stephen Thompson when that decision comes through and you've lost your second fight in a row, we'll get into how that was shaping your career. What is it like then when you've walked out and you've lost? Oh, again, oh, he tagged him. him. Big right He's hand. hurt. Whitaker's in big trouble. Yep. And again, he connects. Oh, He's hurt done bad. again. Looking to finish a fight. Can he do it here? Mario Yamazaki That's all it. over. A big win for Steven Thompson. Thompson. Finishes Robert Whitaker. Terrible, terrible, terrible. It's terrible, especially the second loss, because there's like an unspoken rule that if you lose three times, yes. two to three times in the UFC, you're cut, yep. you're done. They let you go. So as a young guy try, who who put aside his job to, to fight full time and to, 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 to earn a living that way, to think I might lose my job if I don't win my next fight was terrifying. You know, and um, and obviously, I have the same things like everybody else does, uh, and that's self doubt. You know, self doubt creeps into you. It, um, yeah, you, you're not winning. Maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And honestly, around those that period, my my home life was up in turmoil. I was traveling a lot. I was kind of lost. Oh, no, not kind of. I was lost in a big sense of the the, the way. How do you mean lost? I was spending a lot of time overseas. I wasn't training as much as I should. I didn't have my head where I needed it to be. I had lost touch with my roots, if you would. So I had lost 
Like my relationship with my wife wasn't wasn't great because I was spending so many time so much time overseas. I was spending so much time away. I was focusing too much on other things, which you know it just everything started collapsing on itself. And um, after that second loss, it was a bit of a wake up call in a sense. I had to I had to just slow things down. I had to I had to bring it all back to square one. I had to start again. And uh, you know, fortunately, fortunately, I did that. I got my shit together and I got back in there. You did. We'll get to the fact, I think you won seven in a row before you had the opportunity to become a champion. We'll speak about that shortly. But uh, I'm going back to now (laughs) my show kingdom because this is my base level of understanding. When the boys are trying to strip weight, when uh, people that haven't seen it watch it because it's a great show, it it seems hell on earth when you're trying to strip weight. I don't know if that's an over-exaggeration. You said you – what did you say? You you fight at 84 and you're normally 96? Yeah. So talk me through the process, the mental and physical process. I've seen it with jockeys, but of trying to strip weight. Um, it is, it is terrible. <laughs> it is, is it? terrible. It is, is, is it? Honestly, you can't explain it. You can't explain how bad it is. You can't. Try, try. You used a beautiful analogy before. Why is it so terrible? Because you've, oh mate, you've never felt anything like thirst, true thirst. True dehydration. If like where to the point where you're losing your hearing, you're losing your sight, you your mouth feels like sand, you can't sleep, you're you've got no energy. It's like thirst and hunger are the two worst things in the world and I, I wish it upon nobody and um honestly it it is it is terrible to to to, to go through. So to, like you haven't experience true thirst dehydration is the worst the worst thing in the world there is nothing like it it is it makes you forget everything it makes you not want anything there is nothing in the world more important to you than like a sip of water when you're that thirsty wow talk talk to me about your sight and your hearing when you're dehydrated yeah well because you you your body needs water your organs need water and you start taking that water away your organs start to shut down you know there there have been guys that have died cutting weight there have been guys that have died in saunas there have guys did people who die of dehydration like there's countless millions like it's throughout the ages it's it's one of those things so like cutting weight is when you fight at a weight limit to try and get the biggest physical advantages for the fight itself so trying to get that weight down for 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 the competition is just you're always pushing the boundaries you're always pushing what you can do like how much you can do and i've done i've done some big weights i did i did 7.4 kilos morning of weighing morning morning of weighing so that's in you sit in the sauna sweating out buckets until you're on weight and i did 7.4 kilos i've done a lot of big cuts that was the biggest one i've ever done and uh, yeah, it 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 gets it's hard, very very hard. It's a bloody great description. So that's the physical side of losing seven point four kilos in a morning. How do you get through it mentally when it's when you've had enough? When you know the physical side effects come into it, where do you go mentally at that point? Uh, like I I mentioned in the player profile, yeah, it's um, don't quit. Don't be a quitter. It's, huh. it's always in my head. It's always in my head. I will not quit. I cannot quit. I refuse to quit. And that's, I don't know why, but it's always stuck with me. It's always in my head. Just don't quit. And um, 
yeah, I just, I just, I just can't. So then you get to the weigh-in, you jump on the scales, you put your jocks on, you give the double cobras the big flex. <laughs> then, um, what's your calorie intake then? Like then, do you like how much before the fight is the weigh-in typically? Twenty-four hours typically. Okay, so what can you? So if you're you hit the eighty-four, what do you then typically fight at, and what can you do in that period? Ninety-three, ninety-four. So you've put on. 10, another 10 kilos in 24 yeah, just hours. rehydrating yourself and then carb loading to make sure you've got that energy. Wow. Mm. So is it like just pasta and rice and away you go? Yeah, well, everyone has their own beliefs and systems in place for like for post-weighing meals because obviously your body's gone through a lot yeah. of stuff. So. What are yours? What are, what's your theory? So I have I have all, all the, the salt intakes that you need for the rehydration process, so all your salt, your electrolytes, all that stuff, and all that is handled in a very timely manner and structured and scheduled. The whole team follows it. In terms of food, you, you just, like anybody who's eating after a big fast, you, you start small and you build up. And then I end up building up to like, uh, everyone Everyone has their comfort foods, mine's spaghetti bolognese. So I just I hit the spag bowl several times. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then a couple of treats, a couple of chockies, make bring the morale up, you know what I mean? And then, <laughs> and then, and then yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> Before you get to have the big feast, it fascinates me in all combat sport. I was watching you and Adesanya this morning. When you do the old face-off mm. and you, you, like, your, your head's a centimetre apart, he's taller than you, you're looking up. We'll use that as an example. Like, what are you trying to portray? Is it, is it, it must be intense when you're two centimetres from a dude, you're going to step into the, the octagon with the next day and you're going hammer and tong. What, what is the process there? It's just, you're just trying to, how do I, it's like you're just trying to, it's something primal, it's something animalistic in a way. It's yeah. like just asserting dominance, you know what I mean? It's like it's like two dogs just eyeballing the shit out of each other, waiting for the first one to leave. And that's that's honestly all it is because you're trying to just, you're just sizing him up more or less. You're showing him, like this is from my perspective, like I walk out there and I'm eyeballing you and I'm showing you. I'm showing you that I'm here for war and I want you to see that. And that's what I'm trying to convey when, when we're, we're squaring off or shaping up. Like, I'm here. It's do or die. I'm not leaving. Can you affect in any way, shape or form? And this is a question from way out in the universe now. Can you affect in any way, shape or form the outcome of the fight in that 30-second period? Yeah, it depends. Like, it depends. I'm sure... <laughs> Not, not at my level, okay? Not at my level because everyone's fucking done it before. Everyone is at the highest level. Everybody, everybody, everyone's there to fight. We're in the top 10, top five, top one percentage of the world. Like yep. everyone's there because this is what we do. This is what we were born to do. So everyone, everyone knows like you can't intimidate an opponent like day of the fight like that. I wish you could. But in saying that though, I'm... Like, I'm sure I could intimidate a shit ton of people in everyday life if I wanted to. Me, me, for like, example, on Zoom, I'd intimidate it. <laughs> like, because there is a sense of dominance and aura that is exerted when, when, when you know that the guy is looking at you with the intent of breaking your face. <laughs> That's the end of Rob Whitaker Part A. Keep rolling with Part B. See you there. Listener.